Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. Welcome to another episode of the Owlcast. Each week, we choose a different protagonist in the story of ACS Athens as we attempt to document and understand what makes the school's life exciting, meaningful, and definitely different. One of the staple academic subject areas of primary and secondary education is the inquiry, research, and experimentation of science. Students are introduced and exposed to data literacy and computational thinking and are encouraged to develop creative and critical thinking, problem-solving, and team-working. We are living in the age of inescapable, if not compulsory, technological literacy, where skills and competencies are required material to students, where the future is now. The technology and science curriculum, the STEM or STEAM blend of courses, and the frame of mind based on artificial intelligence, are the fundamentals of 21st century education. Dr. Antonis Karambelas is a member of the Science and Technology Faculty of the ACS Athens Academy. He's the Artificial Intelligence Framework Coordinator, working with faculty to holistically integrate AI in the school's curriculum. Dr. Karambelas is a co-author of more than 60 published articles and research contributions in the fields of education and astrophysics. Today, we discuss science fiction, and the vagueness of the future. Enjoying looking at the stars without a telescope. Preparing to conduct science experiments in space. Robotics and appeal of STEM to young people. Heisenberg and the principle of uncertainty. The importance of AI and the fourth industrial revolution. The emergence of superintelligence and getting inspired to become a science teacher. You have been at the forefront of the science, technology, and the AI curriculum in our school for a few years now. Watching you work with students on theoretical but also tangible subjects is inspiring. What inspires you when you choose the subjects or projects you assign? Thank you very much for your kind words. What inspires me is to anything that has to do with the future. Uh, this is the, the final frontier for me. So if something I feel it's important for the future, for, for the young ones, it's for me, something that excites me, uh, then this is probably something I'm going to go over and try to implement in the curriculum. So that was the case with uh, artificial intelligence, was the case with a STEAM course that I'm teaching in the academy, and maybe this is going to be the case in the future. So uh, futuristic um, knowledge, skills, uh, new frontiers, uh, technology enables societies to, to go further, how uh, humans evolve to uh, elongate their life, make it better, all these possibilities, that's what excites me. I know it's quite vague, but uh, this is where I begin uh, from usually. I'll specialize it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> who's your favorite science fiction author? Science fiction author? Well, I haven't read too much science fiction, I would say, which is quite an embarrassment. I, I would say um, Isaac Asimov, but I used to read more Carl Sagan's work. 
which is not science fiction, even though it has, I think, written the script of a movie, but it was mostly, when I was younger, things about the universe, the uh, life in the universe, that were things I, I began with. And be, because I believe that, and from my experience as an, as an astronomer, that uh, reality is beyond any imagination. So science fiction could be, could be science, could be real life, what's out there, all these processes that are unknown to human uh, already. Uh, it's, it's still not an excuse for me to not have read, uh, read enough science fiction uh, books. But it's nice to know that you are an astronomer. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you have a telescope? I don't have a telescope. Another embarrassment. Uh, I was enjoying looking at the stars when I was young, definitely. Uh, enjoying reading books about astronomy. Uh, but I was mostly on the uh, theoretical side of it, later data analysis side of it. But the excitement came from looking at the night sky, not with a telescope uh, through my eyes, which is not the same experience still, <laughs> the best I could do. Uh, your students have been pioneers in creating and participating in projects that were related to microgravity. Mm -hmm. Your teams send experiments to be conducted at the edge of space through a program with uh, Blue Origin, the company that recently sent to space Captain Kirk from Star Trek. Exactly. How did these microgravity experiments materialize and how were students inspired to conduct them? I'm not sure I have realized it yet, what happened. 2019, two consecutive space flights of Blue Origin had many experiments inside, including our ACS Athens experiments. It was the first time uh, ICS Athens and one or two other Greek schools that sent experiments to space, apart from US schools. There was flights with NASA experiments inside, with experiments from, from our corporations, research institutes. That was fantastic. I mean, we, um, we had many students coming in. The goal was to prepare an experiment to be conducted in microgravity, 100 kilometers altitude. We didn't know all technology required. We didn't have much experience in electronics. We got some help from the outside, but most of it was students' research. They were so much inspired about the fact that they would, you know, somehow participate in the ongoing space race that kept them going. It was like a science fair. We were meeting in the lunch breaks, like 20, 30 students with many uh, of my colleagues as well. And it was like a huge celebration. It was not always um, pleasant because it's a very hard effort. We had to overcome many challenges, but it was rewarding. So we managed to send experiments to space. Uh, they came back in small boxes that uh, were including electronics because this had to be conducted automatically, autonomously up, up there. And we have uh, students with teachers have actually completed writing an article about this effort. We have submitted this article and waiting for the reviewer's comment. So that was something I haven't yet reflected upon it uh, deeply enough. It was, uh, I think, something that stays with us, going to stay forever. So you did an experiment with microgravity. Is there such a thing as a megagravity? Megagravity. Uh, well, if you go very close to a giant star, like or a black hole, then you're going to feel... Uh, How about if you dig uh, deep enough? Deep enough on, on Earth? Yes. Uh, yes, going to be, it's going to be uh, larger than it is now. Um, I don't know if I would call it megagravity, and I would never try, <laughs> but you're right. The closer you go to the, the system, it's a bit, uh, you know, not so straightforward, though, because you also have, if you are inside the Earth, you have Earth above you pulling you up. So you cannot really extrapolate uh, what's happening on the surface, but yes, it's going to be quite stronger. 
Uh, I think this is such an interesting concept, the idea that Earth is pulling you from above. Robotics is another STEM-related area that has become super popular with young children, even in the elementary uh, school age. Uh, More and more students are seeking opportunities to take part in domestic and international competitions, and there is an impressive number of them getting awards and distinctions for their projects. What is so unique, so fundamentally appealing to this new area? Is it because of students' exposure to science fiction movies? Is it because they find meaning in what they learn at school? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your opinion? They, they do find meaning. It, it, it goes well beyond the, uh, the science and technology of it, well beyond the mathematics of it. It's about team working, challenge themselves to achieve. Taking part of the competition is really hard. You have to win over other teams which is, uh, it keeps them going. Um, so working together, finding solutions and from our space experiments, uh, students usually, uh, we're usually expressing that thing, that we work together as a team, overcame our differences, and we managed to, to, to get through. So um, obviously, uh, kids have all uh, also relevant preferences, maybe. they Some of them want to become engineers, they, they like to code, some of them. Um, they like to apply mathematics, but I think it goes beyond. But it goes to uh, team working, having a, um, a common goal and try the best for it, and um, working on uh, projects that are very close to real life projects that combine different fields. We know out there it's not a black and white world. For robotics, you have to have science, technology, engineering. So that's another the 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 element of be realistic in this endeavor. In what what happens out there, plus teamwork, I think it's it's the combination. Not necessarily uh, love for coding or engineering uh, itself. Who is your favorite scientist, and uh, what topic of discussion would you choose to have with him or her? Well, all right, I would I would say uh, Heisenberg was a very famous physicist. Uh, he was one of those who established quantum mechanics. The, uh, the science of the very small stuff and the principle of uncertainty that he uh, came up with was what has remained from, uh, in me from my university years, that you have a very, very small particle. If you know where it is, you, you don't know how fast it goes. If you know how fast it goes, you know, don't know where it is. So nature is very creative in putting obstacles in us, uh, you know, endeavor to, to find uh, knowledge and to discover knowledge. The fact that nature doesn't allow you to go uh, beyond the limit, that was for me something. Um, so would you ask him to uh, go further on this uh, hypothesis or is it proven? I would. Uh, is, it, it is proven and I would ask him to, to think beyond that. What would this mean philosophically and what would this mean scientifically if it was possible to go beyond that? Because that's, that's beyond our, our senses. Even with perfect senses, we wouldn't be able to to see beyond what, what's happening, uh, you know, beyond those limits that nature puts. Is it real? So uh, getting from the extremes of science to, to philosophy at that edge, I think I would try to uh, discuss with him about. Would you consider yourself 50-50 philosopher and scientist or more philosopher and less scientist or the other way around? I, I think uh, the older I get, the, the I tend to the more, the more philosophical, maybe because it's it's been quite many years since I stopped doing research, so maybe that's another reason. I'm not practicing research so much uh, at that level I was I was practicing. 
Uh, when I was younger, philosophy was more important for me. Uh, getting older, it was science. Now getting back to basics as I get older. <laughs> You are listening to the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Can you think of a brilliant idea someone shared in your class that made you change your teaching schedule and go on a tangent just to satisfy the collective curiosity? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we um, somebody started to debate and we we moved along that. But I wouldn't say it changed my lesson plan, but... Like stop for the day and, you know, pursue a discussion on that particular subject. I've seen a lot of creativity expressed by my students through design work in the STEAM class. When they design cities and the ideal classrooms and Mars habitats, uh, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. So I have been impressed by their creativity and imagination. And that was the reason for me to actually enhance this component of my classes. So it was actually uh, more, we uh, went beyond one lesson plan to how I structure something to be design centers so they can express their creativity, have more opportunities to do so. Definitely the case. When I began asking them to design, I wouldn't expect what, what happened, really. They surprised uh, you. Surprised me positively, definitely. Why is artificial intelligence so important to the science curriculum nowadays, science and technology? I mean, isn't it artificial after all? <laughs> it is artificial, like everything we do, we humans, and it's actually human creation. Um, it, it's the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, that's what we're, where we're in, according to the World Economic Forum. The first one being the use of steam engine to um, innovate in industry. The second, uh, use of electricity. Third, computers and the internet. The fourth one we are right now that revolutionizes uh, industry and uh, impact society is the use of artificial intelligence, internet of things, blockchain, those technologies. Um, we uh, AI, artificial intelligence is important because that's the next step when the machine is now our collaborator is advising us. That's the next level. So we'd not ask for a certain code to execute, to go from A to B. They're not explicitly programmed to do something. They learn from data. They become intelligent. They saw a case part of our intelligence, obviously not all part, no creativity or imagination. And this is a game changer. Now we can go further. We can, we can cure diseases. We can predict natural disasters. We can live longer. And I think every year that passes and we have another set of graduates that do not know about this, how to use it for a good cause and how they should uh, be prepared to uh, address the, uh, the drawbacks of any new technology. Uh, I think it's, it's another warning for us to do more and do faster. That's why I believe AI is important just to, to fill this gap between what is required for the students to know, uh, the young ones, uh, Uh, that they need to know for the uh, future life and what education offers right now. And somewhere there, I think AI is very important, not the, the most important, only only important thing, but essential, I think, to go to next level of education, 21st century, if I could, say, if I could call it like this, uh, education. We are at the cusp of emerging super intelligence, mm-hmm. where artificial intelligence grows independently. Uh, we may not talking about uh, days or years, but in the decades ahead of us, for sure. Uh, 
Uh, Nick Bostrom, director of the Strategic Artificial Intelligence Research Center and professor of philosophy at the University of Oxford, has written in his New York Times bestseller, Superintelligence, that, quote, in practice, the control problem, the problem of how to control what the superintelligence would do, looks quite difficult. It also looks like we will only get one chance. Once unfriendly superintelligence exists, it would prevent us from replacing it or changing its preferences. Our fate would be sealed. How concerned are you about this prospect? Is it just talk about impending doom or is there merit to his warnings? Do the students who get immersed more and more into artificial intelligence projects get exposed to this other side of, of the coin or do they choose to ignore it? I think they tend to uh, to move to that side of, of the narrative because anything that is new, any, any change is treated initially uh, with concern and hesitation. If I don't know, then I might be afraid. Um, I, I have to be aware first. Uh, I would not agree with this narrative. Superintelligence might be visible in the next decades, but it's still what we create. It's not something independent of us. It's another tool that we program, we control, we implement, and we can always pull the plug, right? Uh, there are many concerns, um, especially military use, for example, um, unemployment, uh, this transition phase. But I don't think we would get to that existential point in the next decades. Uh, or in other words, we, we will be responsible because we are in control and we give a part of our uh, decision making to machines, but uh, they're supposed to be intelligent, we're supposed to be supervising them. So if something happens, it's going to be, it's going to be on us. I don't think it's so possible, but it is something students need to be aware of, that we have to, to set some limits to uh, implement our ethics um, and uh, try to use it for good cause. And if for, for any reason it deviates from this, we have to act because if we don't, it's going to be a dangerous situation. I can see a singularity, but I can still see the um, many drawbacks if we don't act uh, ethically on that. When you think about the future of science education, uh, what's your level of optimism based on what is happening today? That's a very good question because I think most of the people, maybe including myself, are scientifically illiterate. And literacy doesn't necessarily, because most of the countries now have literate population, but literacy doesn't necessarily mean scientific literacy. So looking at what's happening outside with coronavirus and how people respond to that, how much they understand what, what, what is this virus, how it works biologically, I am positive because it can't get much worse. I mean, we, I, I believe we can do better than that. And many people will use the pandemic as a new starting point for, to, to, to train themselves and ask for help. Uh, ask how universe works because we have a good idea, not the best possible, obviously, but um, how viruses work, it's something which is more or less trivial. I think we should focus more and talk about the science, science curricula on science applications, science importance, because science hasn't changed a lot uh, the recent, recently, but how important it is, why it's important to know how to use it for good, it's, it's something we haven't stressed enough, I believe. And maybe curricula uh, should focus on intentionally highlight its importance and have students 
practice it through projects, real life projects. So they can see that this is not uh, just theory. It's happen happening around us. It's common knowledge, sometimes one or two centuries old, that we do not possess as a population. So not very happy about what's happening now. I'm positive naturally. I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist anyway, but I think that things are going to get better. Who inspired you to become a science teacher? Well, um, and that's a good question because when I was uh, younger, I, I wanted to be a writer. So second grade, that's what I, I, I replied to my, to my teacher. But later in the middle school, I, I discovered a series of books by Carl Sagan uh, that my grandfather has bought for my mother and my aunt. I started reading these um, popularized science books and I was really amazed. I, I opened a new window to the world, to the universe, uh, the scale of it, the, um, the energy, the possibilities. And this is, that was my inspiration. So I had the love for, you know, night watching, watching the skies in the night, but the books by Carl Sagan was for me the initiation. And if you had one advice or thought uh, to give to a student who's on the verge of deciding whether to study science and technology in college, but they're not sure, what would be that advice? How would you guide them? Uh, I would say the world of science and technology is really beautiful. What they have to focus more, though, uh, I think would be on, on creativity and imagination. So if they feel like uh, talking about science and technology, reading about it, discussing about it, brings them joy, uh, they feel that there are so many possibilities out there to improve the world or improve the understanding of the universe, they should go for it. They should go for it. Otherwise, that, that's okay. That's, that would be my advice. I would not force anybody to study uh, science and technology, but I would stress this, that it's in the end, uh, it's about creativity. And somebody who doesn't even feel competent enough in mathematics or science can really make it. The, if they have the love for the universe, love for, for the future, it's going to happen, I think. They can just go for it. Dr. Karambelas, thank you so much. Thank you very much. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to The Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Mm-hmm.